You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everyone, and welcome back to episode 11 of Take About. I'm Eli Tokash. And I'm Sydney Lucas. Today is our lucky number 11th episode. 11 is my personal lucky number. And for this very special occasion, we have a very special guest on. He is a father figure to me and a mentor and he is extremely talented and successful he has been in so many broadway shows and so many tv shows and he's been nominated for six tony awards and of those six he has won two if you haven't guessed it already Today we have on the Michael Cerberus. He was he played Bruce in Fun Home. He played my father in Fun Home and I had the honor of working with him for a few years in which he taught me so much and instilled with me such a confidence and awareness for being present in the moment at all times. Um, I love him so much and he was able to share so much of his experience and wisdom in this interview. And we can't wait for you guys to hear it. Um, Michael is, I mean, he literally, like Sydney said, has conquered all aspects of the entertainment industry and i mean six tony nominations that's that's um, unbelievable to be honest um i mean sydney it must have been so cool to be you know like you know starting out on broadway but having someone like him just to be able to learn from and gain wisdom and all of that because just within our little time that we had with him I already I learned so much so yeah especially during Tony Awards Tony Awards season because while obviously it was my first season he was he had already experienced a Tony Awards season like four or five times before so he was already a veteran to the Tony Awards he knew what to expect he was chill and he was exactly the soothing, grounded, chill energy that I needed to get through the Tony Awards. And so, uh, and we'll talk about this in the the interview, but I very much leaned on him during that whole time. He's honestly like one of the smartest people and most well-spoken people I have ever met. Yeah, he had a lot of great things that he had to say just on his experience doing like 14 Broadway shows, I believe it was. Uh, and then on top of that like literally he's like appeared in every tv show you can think of like like, always making these small visits but i mean it's incredible and he has his Um, own band loose cat yeah what the heck that's so right that was that was pretty neat and you'll hear all about that in the interview so without further ado do you want to send it over to michael yeah let's send it over to michael michael take it away Thank you so much for coming back to listen to another episode of Take a Bow, or if you're new, welcome. We hope you enjoy this episode. Our guest today, oh my goodness, we are so honored to have him on. 
He has been one of the greatest teachers, mentors, and father figures in my life. He has been described as the most versatile leading man on Broadway, and I couldn't think of a better way to describe the incredible range of his talents. And I couldn't think of anyone more deserving of this title than this brilliant man. Everyone, please welcome my dear friend, the incomparable Michael Cerveris. <laughs> welcome, Thank you, Michael. Sydney. I'm, I'm blushing here in the board. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so my goodness, Michael, you have been, I guess if we're talking in exact terms, you've been in about 15 bajillion Broadway shows, 36 <laughs> bazillion off-Broadway shows, and about 7 million billion thousand other projects, whether they be regional, at the West End, on TV, etc. You have been in, all of these are Broadway, by the way, you have been in The Who's Tommy, Titanic, Assassin, Sweeney Todd, Evita, Fun Home, and so many more. You have played Hedwig at the West End. You have been in so many off-Broadway shows, I literally cannot count them all on my 10 fingers. You've been in a bunch of movies. You've been in a bunch of TV shows, including CSI, Law and Order, Fringe, Person of Interest, The Good Wife, Madam Secretary, Gotham, Mindhunter, and some of your most recent television roles have been in The Prodigal Son and The Plot Against America. Let me take a breath for a sec. Not to mention, you have your own band. for a sec. <laughs> you have your own band, Loose Cattle. I don't know how you do it, Michael. You are seriously superhuman. How did this all start? When did you first know you wanted to do this? How old were you? And were you interested in the performing business when you were a kid? Well, I I grew up in a family with parents who were both in the arts. My dad and mom met at Juilliard. They were My dad was a piano student. My mom was a modern dance student. And they both decided to forego performing careers to raise a family, basically. And so my dad went into academia and became a university professor and taught all over the place. I grew up in West Virginia, and that was where my dad was teaching in... Um, are you are you from there, Eli? I, I yeah, am. Eli. Where in no Virginia way. are you from? Huntington. Oh, my God. I'm from Weirton. No way. Yeah. Wow. Oh. See, I knew I liked you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so my dad taught at Marshall University and oh uh, all the time that I was growing up. Um, and uh, so even though, you know, Huntington had actually a pretty vibrant artistic cultural life, there was the the Keith Albee Theater where touring companies would come through. And I remember seeing like the first national tour of Jesus Christ Superstar there and Godspell and, you know, the Washington Ballet would come in with Margot Fontaine and symphonies and stuff. So that was a great way for me to be exposed to culture in West Virginia. And there was also a lot of community theater that I got involved with, either because my dad would sometimes be musical directing or or just because I would get involved. So, so I did it a lot from the time I was little. In fact, the first time I was ever on stage was in like second grade in a production oh. of the Caucasian Chalk Circle. And I played <laughs> I played like one of the little prince's friends. So I didn't have any lines, but I, you know, but I hung out and I was I was in the show. And, you know, and so at in second grade, my my first uh, theatrical experience was in Bertolt Brecht. So, you know, I was starting in at the deep end, I guess. <laughs> But, you know, but it was funny. My my parents, they didn't, like, push us in any way to be involved in the arts. It was just a thing that we did, and it was a thing that our family did. And they certainly encouraged us and supported us and gave us tons of opportunities and, and took us to see things. And, you know, we heard my dad practicing at home. And I was telling somebody the other day that my introduction to Stephen Sondheim was by my dad bringing home the vinyl LP of, you know, a little night music or something and putting it on the record player and sitting me down and explaining how the music was all working and all this stuff. So it was around and it was a big part of our lives, but so was, you know, sports. So was little league. So, so were a lot of things. And I guess because my parents had chosen not to pursue performing careers, I had a really healthy respect for the sacrifices that are required for, to really try to have a career and a profession doing it. So I wasn't one of those kids who was like from the time I was six years old, like had to be on stage and, you know, knew that what I wanted most of all was to be performer for my life. I was, it took me until well into college 
to even say, well, I guess this is what I'm going to try to do. I went to, I specifically chose a college where it wasn't just a conservatory, where I was going to do regular academics also, because I wasn't all in on the idea of just being an actor. You went to Yale, right? I went to Yale undergrad. And, um, you know, but, but what was great about that place for me was that there was terrific acting training. It really wasn't at all a conservatory program. There was no voice and movement. There was no speech. There was no, there was no musical theater program, but there were scene study classes. And I, you know, I just independently took a dance class through the gym and took singing classes through the music school. Some of the music school, graduate school teachers also taught undergraduates. So I studied privately, really not because I thought I wanted to do musicals, but because I wanted to do Shakespeare. And I thought, oh, well, it'll be good practice to just train my voice so that I can do Shakespeare. But I didn't think I would ever be in musicals. Like that was never, never my my plan. Look where you are now, my goodness. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, my plans don't always go the way I think they will. So yeah, that was that was kind of and you know, and then I got out of college and I, I thought about going to grad school and most of the people that I knew there said, you know, go to New York and see where where you stand with things. And if you feel like there's more that you need to learn, then you'll be going back to learn that and not just to avoid the real world for longer. <laughs> so that seemed like good advice. And instead, I just kind of made New York my grad school. And I would, I was just a sponge. I would go to rehearsals I wasn't called to. I would get a tiny part with like two lines in a Shakespeare play off, off Broadway. But I would go to the voice and speech rehearsals, even though I didn't have anything just to listen to the other people. And I would go to fight rehearsals, even though I wasn't in the fight, just to like watch how that happened. And I ate hamburgers in the background of like every soap opera in New York because <laughs> I'd never been on camera and didn't know anything about it. So I thought, well, I'll sit here and eat in the background. I know how to do that. And then mm -hmm. I'll just watch how people, and, you know, that's how I learned how people hit marks and wow. how people know, you know, which camera's on and all that stuff. So I just was a sponge for years when I first got to New York. And that was, you know, that was my grad school. And at some point, I just finally admitted, well, I guess I haven't found anything that I have more aptitude for or interest in. So I guess I'll just try to pursue this as a career as long as I can. And and luckily, I got enough encouragement each time I was about to throw in the towel and give up. You know, I got just enough to go, well, all right, I'll give it another six months or whatever. And and here I am still essentially doing the same thing, <laughs> just trying, trying not to give up. Yeah. I actually have two questions. So you mentioned Sondheim and how your dad brought his vinyl home and everything. And yeah. years later, you've come to perform in several of his musicals. Talk yeah. about like how full circle that is and kind of like how cool that experience was. It's one of the coolest things. And one of the things that it's still hard for me to get my head around completely <laughs> because at some level, I still am completely the West Virginia kid who, you know, thinks all of this world is another world that exists <laughs> somewhere else than where they actually are. And that, you know, that keeps thinking at any minute now they're going to realize and, you know, kick me out. <laughs> But the craziest thing is that doing Sweeney Todd, Sweeney Todd was the first Broadway show I ever saw. My mom and dad took us on our first trip to New York, and they took us to see Sweeney Todd in previews. It, was, it wasn't even open yet, so people didn't really know. There wasn't a lot of news around about what it was about. But for my mom and dad, it was like it was Sondheim, so we were going to go. And we sat in the next to the last row of what was then the Eurus Theater. It's now the Gershwin. So anybody that's been wow. to see Wicked knows how huge that theater is. And the next to the last row of the balcony is like a football field away from the <laughs> stage. And I was thrilled from the moment the whistle went off at the beginning of the show. And it really was that show in particular that convinced me that maybe there was something in musical theater for me. I, I loved musical theater, but I you know, I thought I wanted to be a more serious dramatic actor, and I didn't really think of myself as a singer. I still think I'm an actor first, singer second, and mm. dancer like a way, way distant, <laughs> like 12th, if nobody's looking and it is absolutely necessary. 
No, you killed it in Raincoat of Love. Well, you know, that was pretty much the pinnacle of my, my dancing achievement. <laughs> and I was just trying to follow you most of the time. <laughs> no. <laughs> but watching that show and seeing Len Cariou and then later George Hearn playing Sweeney, it was like seeing somebody do Shakespeare with music at the same time to me. And I thought, wow, if there's something like this complicated and dark and twisted and interesting and funny, you know, if that's what musicals are, then, you know, maybe there is some place for me in them. So then when it came around years later to get to do it, it just, it just seemed insane to me. I remember I had, I had done Assassins by that point and I had met Sondheim and, you know, been in the rehearsal room with him and had to try somehow to calm my nerves every time he was around and, and also get myself to not be a total fan geek every time he was around. <laughs> oh, yeah. So a little bit of that had worn off, but, you know, only a little bit. And then here was this opportunity to play what to me was one of the great roles in all of theater, let alone American musical theater. And it was thrilling, but it was also kind of terrifying because I thought I've known this this music inside out since I was a kid. And I, you know, we used to listen to it in car trips, you know, in our station wagon. And our whole family could do every line from every character. And I had Len Carey's voice so deeply in my head. I thought, how am I going to ever do this and not feel like a complete phony? Mm. And I was lucky because John Doyle's production, while he revered and admired the original Hal Prince production as much as all of the rest of us did, he wasn't trying to recreate that. And he wasn't trying to like undermine it or replace it. He was just trying to go back to the story and tell the story, you know, his way with the people that he had with him. And he encouraged us really to do that and to make our own personal connections to the character, not the production that we knew so well. And so because of the way his rehearsals go and they focus you so much on the tasks at hand and the the simple details of the things that you have to work on, you just kind of naturally let go of an idea of what you were supposed to do or how it was supposed to be and how it had been done before. And that gave me enough space to eventually kind of just come up with my own Sweeney that was as much me as it was all the people who had gone before me. I guess at the end of the day, that's all any actor can do. Otherwise, nobody would ever play Hamlet again because, you know, it's been done for 400 years by people that everybody is certain were better than they were. And it's not about that. It's about, you know, it's about you connecting with the story and you telling that story to new groups of people. And it's automatically interesting and new because nobody else has been you. Wow. You talked about Assassins as well in the process of that. You have been nominated for like four Tony Awards and you've won two of them. So like six wait, whole wait. Tony Reds. Oh my God. Is that insane. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's insane. Six nominations. And you won for Assassins, right? Uh, yeah. And you also won for a show called Fun Home. Is that right? Yeah. Is that yeah. A little, a little, yeah. When you're not calling it Fun House, then yes. <laughs> Uh, see, I, see, I only know it is Fun House. I don't. I'm not sure what Fun Home is. <laughs> yeah, no. Do you remember how confused people used to be in the beginning days? Like nobody could ever get so the title confused. right. Like, oh my god, it's insane. <laughs> I love your show, Fun House. Like, oh, thank you, thank you. Not really the title, but glad you love it. Like 75 percent of people would do that. <laughs> it's insane that Fun House, Fun House. Does that ever get old? Just being like on Broadway and getting Tony nominations and winning. Like, it's crazy. Also, that's six whole Tony seasons. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What? How do you survive (laughs) one Tony season, let alone six? Excuse me. That's a good question. (laughs) Part of the answer to that, Sydney, I think, is that some aspects of it do get easier. The first time, as you know, is almost impossible to get through. You know, people have no people have no idea, and it's hard to get people to feel very sympathetic when you say, "Oh, it was so difficult being nominated for a Tony and <laughs> having to do my very popular Broadway show and all of the meetings and luncheons and interviews and autograph signings and you know, it's just it's so fatiguing." Like people just don't really want to hear that, but it is exhausting and and it's so stressful because you're trying to do the absolute best version of your show, not just for yourself, but for everybody else in the cast and for the production itself, Mm -hmm. whose fate, you know, to some degree may rest on the results of, you know, of a contest, which is a weird thing. Yeah. And, and it's impossible and it seems to go on forever. (laughs) Yeah. And every night you think, you know, well, what if the deciding Tony voter is in the audience tonight? You know, I have to give it my absolute best show tonight. And then tomorrow I have to do exactly that all over again Mm -hmm. for weeks and weeks and weeks. And there are like a million other things you have to do all day. And sometimes after the show in that season at a time when you really want all your energy just to be going into doing your best possible show. So that, you know, that's a really hard and unnatural and not terribly healthy setup. I can say, though, having been lucky enough to go through it more than once, that the first time is the hardest because it's all so new and all so unfamiliar. And, you know, so much of it is unknown. When it's happened other times, you're able to kind of go, okay, I know what this is. I know some of what to expect. I know with the places where I want to put that energy and I know the places where I maybe don't choose to put the energy. And I always have said that I feel really lucky, most of all, that the first time with Tommy, I didn't win. It taught me a lot of really great lessons right away. You know, first of all, the world didn't stop when they didn't call my name. And, you know, after a period of disappointment for, you know, a good solid couple of minutes right backstage, I was immediately kind of swept up in because the show then went on to win, Tommy went on to win other awards and stuff. And I was really quickly swept up in the fact that my real prize was I get to go back to the theater tomorrow night and do this thing that is my favorite thing in the world to do with the people that I want to be with more than any other people. And, you know, and there'll be another audience that's going to get the excitement of getting to hear this story for the first time. And it really helped me put all of the awards in perspective really quickly and realize that you don't lose anything. Like you don't actually ever lose a Tony. Sometimes you are given one and that's really nice, but you don't lose. And you get to go have your prize the next night when you go back to work. And that helped me, you know, through through the years, every time I've been lucky enough to go through the whole thing again, it's been easier and and easier to enjoy the things that are really fun, which is, you know, Sid, going and sitting at a table with with your heroes yeah. and them talking to you like you're their equal. And, yeah. you know, you, you sit there thinking, well, I'm not at all, but it's nice that they're treating me like I'm their equal and I get to listen to them and I get to be a part of this club for at least this time. And 
you know, that's really cool. And that's, you know, that really, that's the part when people say it's an honor just to be nomina- nominated, that's the part of that that yeah. is really true, you know? I mean, I was 11. So like, <laughs> I, I didn't necessarily feel like people were treating me as their equal. Going <laughs> on 40, like, oh, but still. Yeah. No, but you, you really carried yourself in a remarkable way through that whole if process. I'm being honest, you were like a huge reason why I survived the Tony season because you were always someone who, you know, because you had experienced it numerous times before, you would always reassure me and helped me freak out a little less. But you also helped me to realize, take this all in, just soak it all in because, you know, you never really know if you're going to be back here. And, and you helped me ground myself back down to the earth and stay present and just like look around and, and not get too much in my head and, and be grateful for everything everything that happened. And also I'm in the same boat with you. I'm, I'm genuinely so glad that I didn't win. First of all, I, I didn't care when I didn't win. It wasn't like I never went through a disappointment phase because I was just glad that I got through the performance. That was it. (laughs) Oh my God. That was so scary. I will never forget that. I won't forget it either. One of my favorite parts of that day was after I finished my performance and we were still standing on stage. I looked over to you just kind of like, should we go off the stage now? What's happening? And I was just kind of looking to you to guide me about what to do now. And you looked at me and and you just kind of gestured over to the audience. And I looked out in the audience. And that was the first moment in that entire time that I actually took it in. I was like, oh <laughs> you realized they were there. Yeah. Yeah. But that was I remember that so vividly. And I, I really wish they got it on video. But I think had the camera pointed at someone else. But I looked over to you and you looked at me and you just pointed to the audience. And that, oh, my God, I just that's that's one of my favorite parts. So thank you. Thank you for helping me to get through that because I would not have been able to do it without you. Yeah, well, I wouldn't have been able to do it without you because I was just sitting there reading the paper. So I don't think anybody would have really, really wanted that performance. That performance is like one of the most unforgettable performances. Just like Sydney's performance alone and you and Beth, like everyone still talks about it. It's incredible. Oh, thanks. Thank you, yeah. Eli. Yeah. I love you, Eli. I love you too, Sid. <laughs> Michael, do you still get nervous for performances? Because you've done so many, I can't even, you know, do you still get butterflies before you go on stage or you kind of pass that? No, I definitely do. And I guess it's, I suppose, partly an answer to Eli's question about whether, you know, being in Broadway shows ever gets old. Um, It doesn't because the thing that we're always trying to do and telling ourselves and each other all the time is that every performance should be like the first and last time you ever do it. Because it, it does get tiring and you do get fatigued over the course of a long run. But one of the best ways to kind of cope with that, I find, is by reminding myself and my colleagues that we may have done it 500 times, but there's a lot of people who spent a lot of money and, and sacrificed a lot of things, and this is the only time they will ever see this. And um, the good side of that is it can make you sort of, it can help you feel like this is the first and only time you might ever do it. It can also, though, help you feel like every time could be opening night and terrifying in the same way that it often is. So I think that's why that's part of why I still will get nervous. And, and it's weird, like you'll go for weeks, and you'll be like, really relaxed. And I remember with Fun Home in particular, the kind of nice nervousness and nice butterflies of excitement more than terror. Most of the time, it was such a great way to start the show because you remember, Sydney, you and I used to be backstage together. You know, we'd have our little conversations and our little rituals and and jokes. And, you know, it would just, it was really pretty relaxed. And most people watching us would think, aren't they ever going to get ready to go on stage? In fact, yeah. And, And yet both of us, I noticed, like had our own little ways of just like when it was time of just sort of suddenly just retreating inside to do whatever things we needed to do to be able to walk through the, you know, through the curtain. But there was something in that theater, especially because we were so close to the audience, because they were so much a part of the show that helped it not seem as strange and like there was so much of a difference between real life and performance life. And that's what I 
really try to cling to because that for me makes it easier to not be so nervous if I don't have to think of what's about to happen like it's some terrifying thing. It's just like, no, it's just the next moment in what's happening tonight. You know, so I guess the short answer is yeah, I still get scared and it's an ongoing thing and it's different every night and it's different all the time, but it's helped so much when you really feel connected to the people that you're going to be working with and to the people you're about to perform for. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, um, Michael, was it just us on that side of the stage or do we have Oscar and Zell too? Or were they on the opposite side? They would like come and say hi usually, but it was just you and I. So yeah, for those of you who don't know, in Fun Home Circle in the Square, there are pretty much two entrances, one on, well, Circle in the Square, it's in the round. So we pretty much enter through the audience and then underneath the audience is pretty much our backstage area. Pretty much the entire rest of the cast, except for Michael and I, entered on the opposite side. And then Michael and I entered on the the side opposite from that. So, yeah, we would talk and we would do, you know, we would goof around and we would laugh. And, you know, after a while, the show became second nature. And, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but at least for me, what would happen is like I just would have zero nerves whatsoever. And it would just be like, blah, 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 blah. And then the... uh, I think Rob, he would go uh, Rumpelstiltskin, which for me meant 30 seconds because I don't like being told 30 seconds because that makes me so anxious. 30 seconds. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I, 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 had a, I, made, I had them make a code word, Rumpelstiltskin. So every time it was 30 seconds before I had to go on, it would be, he would tell me Rumpelstiltskin and then we would both kind of, you know, like you said, retreat into our own whatever and then just go yeah. on, do yeah. the show. Didn't we used to hide, didn't we have like a little, like a monkey or something that we hid around places backstage? Oh, Bongo? Bongo. Well, I have no, him. He's yeah. just over there. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I remember Bongo used to like, you know, show up in various places, I think at various times. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And yeah. Michael, I, something that I remember about you is you were super big into burning incense, like in your dressing room. Um, do you have any other regimens like that that you think help to prep you for the show and help you have a good performance? I often have little kind of rituals or routines, at least. My dressing room is kind of my inner sanctum halfway stage between regular life and the show. And so I like to kind of make it into a place that has images or smells or, you know, or colors or things that kind of put me in the world of the show while I'm getting ready. And with Evita, for example, I had a little record player and I would play tango records from the 40s and 50s all all the time and, you know, and found scents, incense or other smells that kind of smelled to me like Argentina and like Buenos Aires and and the colors that that my dresser and I painted it and the furniture or fabrics and things that we would sort of have around or images that I'd collected of actual Juan Perón and Evita. With Fun Home, was a lot of pictures and Allison's drawings and photographs of our trip to Beach Creek. And my turntable then had a lot of like Partridge Family and, and mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I have those kinds of things. I'll have different warm-ups depending on what the show's like and where I need to be at the top of it. And then I also have sometimes developed after-show rituals to kind of help ease myself back into the real world. Like after Sweeney... I learned to start this kind of process of a really conscious kind of, you know, washing the makeup off, which we didn't really have makeup in Fun Home because the theater was so small. But just doing like a really conscious, mindful hand washing, someone suggested that as a way to kind of psychologically tell yourself to let go of all of the troubling stuff that you have to kind of access in order to tell the story, but that you don't want to carry with you and carry home with you. So it's just kind of a way to sort of say to yourself, okay, I'm I'm letting go of all of this. It'll all be there when I need it tomorrow, but I don't need to carry it with me now. Because especially with a you know story like Fun Home, I found it, and Sweeney too, a real challenge as the run went on to be spending, you know, a couple hours a night in you know, in some of that unhappiness and misery and and struggle. And it's not like you, 
you know, you walk around in character all the time. But when you're tapping into those things on a consistent basis, it just does leave residual stuff in your system. And I think you have to to maintain your health and your ability to keep giving a good performance. You need to figure out how to let go of it as much sure. as put it on. And over time, I've sort of just come up with little things that, that work for me and, and they change all yeah, the time. Yeah, for sure. Do those just kind of come to you or does it, is it like, does it take a while to like explore and be like, oh, this is kind of helpful? Or... It's more of a an organic ongoing process. It's, it's sometimes you'll suddenly, someone will suggest something like somebody suggested to me the hand washing thing. Uh. So sometimes somebody will suggest something or say something, but more often it's kind of a trial and error and you, you know, you'll suddenly have a notion that, you know, this might be helpful and maybe it's really helpful. Um, and maybe it's not, and you you know you do something else instead. And and I think too, at different points in the run, you need different things. I think some of the things you need early in the run to really focus yourself and get yourself in the right place, like you were saying, Sydney. Like after a while, you don't need that stuff anymore. Now maybe you need things to kind of reinvigorate yourself in a different way, or or inspire you to have new ideas and different ideas or something. Right. So you know it's it's not a static thing. I think it evolves and changes as you go along. Oh yeah, for sure. And, you know, also, like you said, it sometimes the thoughts or the kind of rituals that you do in order to get into a character or, or get out of character. For me, it's get into a character. Luckily, I haven't yet struggled with getting out of a character. But for example, if I need to cry, I'll have specific thoughts or, or memories in my mind that I just play on loop in my head and it'll like instantly make me cry. But then sometimes they don't work anymore and I have to retire them and I have to pick another thought. And, you know, I do. Music does that for me a lot too. Oh, really? Like listening, listening to, if it's a play where you need to like enter a scene at the top in a particular emotional state, if I can find the right music that sort of affects me in the right way, because music I find kind of bypasses my brain and just goes directly to my heart in a particular way and my emotions and so for me often music is really my way into an emotional state if if you need to just kind of bring that on with you oh you know what that is so smart but you're right sometimes you can wear it out or at least for a while and then you have to find something else that you know that will do the same thing that is so smart i want to use that and it makes sense because whenever i go on auditions i always play logic so that I don't yeah. like, get too much in my head about the audition. So I just play it, hypes me up, and I'm like, I got this. Yeah, so That makes yeah. sense. That's really true. Speaking of music, you have a band, Loose Cattle, <laughs> and you guys have been doing virtual concerts online during the pandemic. My dad mm. and I watched one of them. So good. Thank you. And you are also an amazing guitar player. Can you kind of just tell me a little bit about this band or how it got started or, you know, what you're doing now during this pandemic? I've been playing music almost as long as I've been acting. I started, you know, when I was a kid in West Virginia, and but I never really took it super seriously, I think because I had such an idea of what a musician was in the in my father. And to me, like a musician is somebody who studied their whole life, knows theory, knows how to read music, you know, can play anything, can sight read anything. Mm-hmm. And I, I hadn't devoted nearly that kind of uh, time in it. I was I'm largely self-taught guitar player. I don't even really fully read music for singing even i kind of like it's such a disappointment i think to my father (laughs) um, you know that his his son is still kind of faking his way through things half the time (laughs) but i but but as a result i really developed my ear really well so i can you know you can play me something and i can sing it back to you or figure it out on guitar myself and so but because of that i never really took music seriously as a career choice and always just did it because I loved it. And I had bands from the time I was in high school, junior high school on, that were, you know, varying degrees of skilled, but 
never very good, but we were usually very loud. And that was what mattered <laughs> most in, in high school. <laughs> and then it was funny. I was doing a TV show in Los Angeles. I was on fame in the last season of that. Yeah. And I was playing this English guitar student named Ian Ware. <laughs> and because in Los Angeles, people sort of assume you are what you pretend to be on TV. I would go to like see a gig. And this was at the time that like Jane's Addiction was playing their first shows in Los Angeles and Guns N' Roses was a brand new band. And so I was going to clubs and seeing bands like that in you know, the early days, meeting all these other musicians. And they kind of treated me like I was a musician because I was playing one on their TV screens. And that gave me long enough to kind of be around them and sort of see, well, okay, I'm not the greatest guitar player in the world. I'm not the greatest singer in the world. You know, I could at least do what that person's doing. And they have a five record deal. So maybe I should stop saying that I am not a musician and I should finish some of the songs I'm writing and I should like actually put bands together. And the great thing about that was it changed my feeling towards my acting career because suddenly I wasn't dependent on having a job to be able to be creative. If I didn't have a job, if I was just auditioning and not getting stuff, I could go home and write songs or I could, you know, get together with some people and play music. And suddenly I wasn't as desperate with every audition and and I wasn't as heartbroken with every job I didn't get because I could still be creative on my own. And since then I've, you know, I've put bands together here. I put a band together when I was in London and I started writing my own music. And it really has been something that, that I go back to, you know, when things are difficult or when I have the time to. My current band, Loose Cattle, began back in, I think, 2011, we started. And it was really just supposed to just be fun. And our biggest dream was to play in the living rooms of our friends. And that was kind of like our biggest goal. And then a couple of weird things happened and we got a chance to actually open. We got to play on Mountain Stage, this NPR program that is comes from West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And we were recording it in, in my hometown in Huntington on the big Keith Albee stage, which was like a huge thrill. And we got to play at Lincoln Center as part of American Songbook. And so all of a sudden, without even trying, we were getting all these opportunities to play really great shows and we thought well maybe we should take this a little more seriously and actually rehearse a little more and <laughs> and you know and write some songs and stuff so that's what we've been doing and and my songwriting partner Kimberly Kay who's the other singer in the band and I kind of began the band in New York and then she moved down to New Orleans and I have a house down in New Orleans and spend a lot of time down there so we now have kind of a New Orleans based band now And the beginning stages of things shutting down in New York happened. Kimberly was actually in New York because we had a couple of shows that we were supposed to play and they were both canceled in that first week of March. So we decided, well, we really wanted to to play and we were really looking forward to these shows, but we certainly didn't want to jeopardize our health or anybody else's health. And a friend of ours has a company that does live streaming stuff. So he said, I'll come over to your house and we'll just shoot this live stream thing. And the version that you and your dad saw, Sydney, was just the one camera version from it. But he actually had three cameras running and he's now cut together a whole edited thing of that, which we're going to live stream again sometime uh, soon. We're just trying to figure out how to do it. So it'll be kind of the same thing, but an even even better version of it. People hadn't quite really adopted that the way everybody's taken to it now. It was still early days. Right away, so many people, a surprising number to me of people saw it and found it and from all over the globe. And it was my first indication that, you know, things were really changing and that people were going to be really hungry for this kind of thing and that it didn't need to be perfect. And it didn't. And part of what people love is just like seeing people at home trying to do things warts and all. So, you know, we have plans to do more of that kind of thing. And we're also doing collaborations, long distance collaborations, where I'll sing and play guitar and send that to our drummer. And then he'll put the drum part down and then we'll send it to the bass player and he'll record the bass. And and we're just doing long distance remote recording sessions like that. And, and, you know, we'll record video of each other and, and, 
you know, try to edit it together and stuff. So it's a way for us to keep connected with the people who want to hear us and, and to be doing something positive and creative while we wait to see what's next. Yeah, you're ma- With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Making it work. Awesome. That's really awesome. You just you were just doing what you loved. And then look at this. Yeah. yeah. Doing what you loved. And all of a sudden opportunities came crashing through the door. I think there's going to be so much of that as, you know, even when things do start to open up, because it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be anything even remotely like overnight. You know, it'll be one thing when governors decide it's okay to open theaters again. It's going to be another thing, whether people are going to feel safe going there, even if they're open and yeah. and the people working there and the economics of it all. And you can go crazy trying to guess what all of that's going to be. In the meantime, there are things that we can do and making stuff and sharing it with people is sometimes all we can do right now. Yeah, I see Absolutely. every. Every time I'm on any social media, it seems like you're always doing something to provide entertainment for people. And it's just so cool to see that there's a lot of people out there just doing that now because everyone's turning to the arts to have a source of entertainment without sports and anything like that. This is what we can watch, just music and entertain people and share some laughs, you know? It's awesome. Yeah. And it's funny too, you know, you would think being somebody who, you know, has done this for a living and... and you know, has argued for years and spoken for years about the, you know, the value of the arts and the meaning of of music in our lives and things. And I still can be surprised just how true that is. I was watching a live stream last few nights. There have been various people that I'm fans of. There's a band called Drive-By Truckers that I'm a huge fan of. And each of their two songwriters did solo concerts from their homes. And this other guy, Billy Bragg, who I big fan of. He's a, a British kind of activist and folk singer. He did a Mother's Day concert that he hosted with performers from all over the place. And and I would say like at least one time in every one of these live streams that I just sort of put on because like, oh, it's cool. Like, you know, I don't have to get dressed and go anywhere. I can just like, you know, watch these shows in my living room. And in every one of those things, there was some moment where it suddenly went from being like, oh, this is a cool, fun thing to this is what I really needed. I needed to hear this song sung by somebody who really means it and is really trying to connect to a vast world of people that they can't even see because they're just like singing into a camera. But here I am thousands of miles away, like getting teary-eyed and choked up, maybe because it's a sad song or maybe just because it's a human being expressing something and it doesn't matter that it's a thousand miles away and mediated through, you know, ones and zeros and electronics. I'm actually having a in-the-moment connection with this other human being because of the art that they're making. And you'd think I would know that that's the way it works. And it still yeah. is surprising to me, you know? That's very well put. You're like a book of knowledge. I mean, <laughs> he is, in everything. Though. it's crazy. Wow. I'm also a book of a lot of useless knowledge if, if you need <laughs> any of that. Thank you. That's yeah. my favorite kind of knowledge. <laughs> it's, yeah. the, it's the best kind, really. It is.
Okay, Michael. Um, so before we wrap this up, Eli and I have this segment that we call illicit. And it's kind of clever because if you think about illicit, it's kind of like our names put together, Eli and Sid. So Ill- so it's basically about eliciting a response from okay. our guest. It can be quick fire or it doesn't necessarily have to be if you want to elaborate a bit more. But we asked fans on our social media accounts to send in questions for guests that we may have on. And we got a bunch of questions and I am going to just ask you a couple. Ready? Okay. Ready. Okay. Could you still play Bruce Bechtel on a moment's notice? Yes. You could, really? I think I could. You know, obviously I would have to brush up the raincoat choreography <laughs> <laughs> or I would just stand behind you and do what you did too. I no, I feel like absolutely the the emotional storytelling I think is still in my cells cuz it was it was just such a deep thing. Yeah. You know, I don't know that I would get all the lyrics and and lines right but i bet you know i i feel pretty confident i could absolutely do it with a week's notice because you know remember when we got together again after almost a year from the final performance of the public to rehearsals for broadway i felt like we were kind of ready to do the show when we did that we did that lab for a week right yeah and and by lunch on the first day i kind of felt like we could sort of do the show now. Mm. I don't think that's true of everything, as as I think we proved <laughs> on <laughs> Seth Rudetsky's thing when yeah, I, I know, was right? completely stumped by some of the Evita <laughs> stuff. So I don't think I can't do that with every show, but I feel like Fun Home would come back. I, I think it's just beneath the surface. Okay, next question. Who are your top three favorite musicians or bands or whatever? <laughs> Oh, that is so hard because right? they're like a million and they, you know, sort of depends so on the day. Let's not say like top three. Let's just say, you know, three that currently you've been really yeah. admiring. Well, like I said a minute ago, I love the drive-by truckers, a guy named Patterson Hood and Mike Cooley. They're the two main songwriters. Jason Isbell also used to write with them. I just love everything about that band. Also, Vic Chestnut is a... Athens, Georgia, singer-songwriter who sadly passed away some time ago, but I've always really loved his music. It's so idiosyncratic and funny and smart. You know, I mean, Stephen Sondheim, kind Stephen of. Stephen Sondheim, now, there you go. Now and forever, yeah. Absolutely. Idiosyncratic. Can you just tell me for a sec what that means? <laughs> it means like very unique and often means kind of quirky, not not like not like other people. You know, very sometimes it means like a really unusual style or something, but it means That's not a common good word. and very much of themselves. That's hmm. a good word. I'm going to use that from now on. Oh, yeah. See, like I, I think... said, he's one of the best teachers in my life. He's constantly <laughs> teaching me new words. I actually have a question. Go ahead. This one says, what's your favorite onstage mishap? Oh, oh God. I, love <laughs> show. I know there's I love probably been a lot because you've been in so many shows, but... Yeah, I've I've had plenty of mishaps. <laughs> uh, well, I think I think one of them has to be my Broadway debut in Tommy. Oh my the dress rehearsal run in the afternoon that they used to call the Gypsy Run. It was it would be the audience would usually be all of your friends and colleagues from other shows, and it would be in the afternoon, so that, like on a Tuesday afternoon or something, or Thursday afternoon, so that they could all come. And it would be the f- your sort of your last dress rehearsal, and usually that night was your opening night. And so <laughs> it was an audience full of Broadway actors and singers and dancers, <laughs> most of whom I didn't know because I was oh. brand new there. And my second entrance in the show, I was supposed to come tumbling in on wires and they got hung up in the lights. And so I started tumbling and then just stopped in midair and was just hanging there. And anybody who's worn a flying harness knows that it's not the most attractive look (laughs) and it does strange things to your body. Mm-hmm. And when you're hanging there, it's in a in white jeans and a white oh. T-shirt. You just oh look about as ridiculous as you could look. And I thought it was bad enough when I'm just hanging there and the orchestra stops and everything kind of stops. And the stage manager says, excuse me, we're having technical difficulties. We <laughs> need to tell people oh, that. really? <laughs> and it was bad enough when I'm hanging there and just like staring at this crowd of people. But then in the things that they were doing to try to 
get me down. All they did was basically turn me around. So now I'm just hanging there with my butt hanging out for the audience, (laughs) which was just about the most embarrassing thing I could think of as a way to start my Broadway career. (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah. Did you have a successful like op- like for real opening night though? Yeah, yeah. They oh they, sol- they solved whatever <laughs> whatever that was. Oh good. When you before you actually had to do your first performance, did you did they have to do like an emergency like test call for that cuz sometimes like if something goes wrong, they want to make sure Yeah, yeah. It became it became a part of the pre-show yeah. stuff to figure all that stuff out, yeah. Oh, and you know, wow. stuff still would go wrong. There were nights when <laughs> And it was complicated because there wasn't a lot of automation then. And also, this is a kind of thing you don't maybe want to just leave in the hands of machines. So it <laughs> took three people. It took one crew guy to do the up and down uh, motion, another crew guy to do the on stage and off stage, And then I would have to sort of gauge my spinning speed so that I would land on my feet in the middle of the stage at the right time. And, you know, there were subs some nights and (laughs) there were nights when my toes would just kind of skim and I wouldn't (laughs) quite land. So instead I would sort of skittle across the stage like Superman. (laughs) And then there were other nights when I would just like under rotate, I guess. And, and my feet would just like slam on the stage floor oh. and my whole body would just be jarred. And I would have to like try to stand up after that and try to like look like, oh, yeah, I, I plan to do it that way. <laughs> you know, it was uh, it was always an adventure. Yeah. For sure. And then just real quick, just like one last question, because I really mm-hmm. like this question for you. What does success mean to you? If you if you had to like in a couple of sentences, just describe what success means to you, how would you describe it? That is such a good question. I think for me, success is a combination of the respect of my peers and my colleagues and the people that I work with. And the people that I work for, you know, the audience, and a feeling that I'm I'm giving more to the world than I'm taking from it through the things. I, that's why I was so proud and grateful to be part of Fun Home all the time because I felt like at our core we were a show that was about doing that, about giving something really meaningful to people. And then on top of that, we looked for ways to take it further and out into the world. And whether it was going to Charleston, South Carolina to support the people who had had Allison's book banned at their university or flying down to Orlando for one benefit performance to, to support the people in Orlando after the horrible Hmm. nightmare at the Pulse nightclub, you know, it was a group of people that looked for ways to make theater mean even more and that honestly more than any prize or any great review or anything else those to me are the things that mean success i think yeah that's such a beautiful answer well michael it has been so wonderful having you on you are like we have established a book of knowledge you're so well spoken (laughs) and like an old leathery book of knowledge like old (laughs) like you know Is that what you're trying to say? Are you saying that I look old and leathery? No, like like a shiny new whatever book Kindle? of knowledge. Like a Kindle. <laughs> a Kindle. A Kindle fire. You're um, a Kindle of knowledge. You're a Kindle of knowledge. We absolutely love having you on. Thank you so much for coming on. And now it is time for our curtain call. Yeah. Michael Cerberus, take a bow. Thank you. you. Thank you, guys. I've had such a great time. Thanks. And to meet a fellow West Virginian, that was just like so so special. I know. I love love seeing that. Love you too, Sydney. Thanks for giving us your time. Thanks, I miss y'all too. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Take a bow, Michael Cerverus. I love you. You deserve a billion bows. Thank you so much Which for coming. Which he's practically almost taken a billion bows <laughs> on Broadway. Yeah, true, being true. in that many Broadway shows. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom. For those of you listening, Michael was the, to all of the kids in Fun Home, he was the father figure. He 
basically like for Father's Day, we would give him cards like that's how we viewed him. He was he he taught us and he mentored us and he was always sharing wisdom, but he was always like cracking clever jokes and making everyone laugh when they needed to. And he was always someone that people trusted and, you know, knew that they could go to. And he was also very much an encourager. He was always encouraging me and teaching me and and without even outright saying it but he was always encouraging me and and telling me that I could do whatever I put my mind to and as someone who's been in like 14 Broadway shows and who's been nominated for like a gajillion Tony Awards obviously he knows what he's doing and he knows what he's saying and um yeah I love you Michael I miss you yeah, I mean, from what I've heard about Michael from other friends and you, Sid, and just the interview alone, like, it, you can really tell that Michael is the true, like, veteran and leader that you want oh, in yeah. your corner, you know? Le- leader is a good word. Yeah. He, was, he was most definitely, like, he, he just embodied that leader that people looked up to. Yeah, and I bet that was so special for you, like, being able to talk to him again and kind of revisit all of those memories and stuff like that, so... I'm glad that we yeah. were able to do this. I know. And I hope and you guys enjoyed a, that one. He's such a compassionate guy, too. Yeah, you can tell. Yeah. He's just like a like a teddy bear almost, you know? Like yeah, he, he has such a big heart. Yeah, and he's like super kind and like welcoming and just makes you like automatically feel comfortable, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and it was cool. Like I I never met him or anything. And so I was I'm glad that we were able to like, you know, kind of meet. Um, yeah. But it was awesome to, you know, hear he was from West Virginia and just have those kind of little things that kind of was just relaxing me, you know, and just making me be like, oh, yeah, you know, like this guy, he's cool. Like he's been in 14 Broadway shows, but he's 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 still still relatable. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. He's still like, yeah. Um, So that's awesome. So special reunion there. Shout out West Virginia. And (laughs) this week. We have a special announcement. I don't know what the announcement is. Eli was like... Listen, when I say it, you may know it, but... Will I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you easily can. But recently, as it's 2020, and it's the end of a new decade, um, Sidney Lucas was nominated uh, for a Broadway World Award for... Best breakout performance of the decade for Fun Home. And I'm glad that it actually lined up that it was really? this episode. Yeah. And I'm glad that it lined up for this episode because, you know, Wait, it's just like Fun Home theme. This week it came out. I was? Yeah. And and the voting is still open. So if you, you know, listen and <laughs> go vote on broadwayworld.com. Uh, and there's a bunch of other you know, categories and nominees. How did I not know about this? I'm shocked you don't. I found out from... What? Yeah, I know. I found out from <laughs> the... Oh, gosh. The Victoria, who is like... Who made us that video for our 10th episode. Oh, yeah. I saw it from her story, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, I can't wait to talk about this. Wait, hold on. Let me look this up. I swear it's a thing, because she literally showed that she was, you know, voting. So, congratulations, Sid, uh, (laughs) on being nominated (laughs) for Best best Breakout Performance of the Decade. So exciting. Huh? Do you see it? Yeah, I do see it. Yeah. That's sweet. So, that's so exciting. Whoa, there's so many cool people here. Yeah. No, seriously. The people you're nominated with are quite incredible oh and anthony's um oh my gosh so many oh my goodness these are some incredible people wow yeah i'm so flattered what the heck yeah so go vote so she can win Uh (laughs) (laughs) literally anyone can vote so go to broadwayworld.com and vote for Sydney lucas oh i'm so flattered just to be in in a group with these people this is this is special thank you eli for bringing this to my attention you're welcome. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> no, I'm gonna go tell my family now. <laughs> I know. I was. I was literally just gonna say. I'm so happy that I was the one person to do too. And and it's funny because I mean, is it best breakout performance of the decade? 
I think so. I wasn't sure Anthony, if I got the Anthony category Ron, right. Uh, I think Ra- Rainbow, Rainbow. He's currently in first position and first position. Oh my god! First place. I meant. First place. <laughs> and I've got to say, I'm obsessed with him and Hamilton. I mean, everyone here, like, I am obsessed. With, like, we have. Oh my goodness, we have Alex Newell. We have Brendan Urie. We have Erica Henningsen. We have. Uh, Andrew Barth Feldman. We have Car- who was on an episode. We have Kara <sighs> Lindsay, who's in Newsies with my brother. We have Anthony Rosenthal. We have oh my gosh, this is crazy. oh my god, he's an upcoming interview. Oh my god, oh my gosh. should I have said that? My bad. Yeah, no, you can. We've already pretty much announced. <laughs> Guys, this this is so exciting. Wow. Well, I'm. Thank you so much, Eli. I'm gonna go tell my parents. This is really yeah. cool. Yeah, we'll Funny. wrap it up here. Um, I just wanted to say one more thing. We have a new kind of like temporary link for it's not like a website for take a bow but it's a it's a good tool to have for us it's smart.bio backslash take a bow podcast and there you can find all of our links to listen to the podcasts you can find links of press that we've done we you can find links to our patreon um to become a patron and you know, you you can find a couple of cool things there. So go check that out. It literally has all the information and all the stuff you need to know for Take a Bow. I'm the worst. Okay, it's forward slash. So smart.bio forward slash Take a Bow podcast. I swear I'm going to get this eventually. Please forgive me. I'm sure you guys all got the gist. But yeah, go check it out for uh, all things Take a Bow and find out more information and go look at all the fun tools and stuff you got going on there so yay well i guess that that concludes it so congrats sid i'm glad that michael was on and this is like a fun home kind of themed (laughs) podcast episode um go fun home we love that and um yeah we can't wait to see you guys next week i'm really excited about next week's episode because it's not an actor. Yeah. So we're going to get a new perspective oh, yeah. on what's going on in the business. So uh, stay tuned and listen up next week. Bye, everyone. Sick beat, am I right? For our curtain call, we wanted to give a few special thank yous to Nikki Torsha and Cormac Collinon for our amazing music, Giselle Bustos for designing our logo, and Tessie Tokash and Sydney Lucas for editing our episodes. Feel free to subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you are currently listening to us from. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, Brittany Bigelow, and Katie Rosen at the Broadway Podcast Network, as well as our top patrons, Henry Friedman and Brian Thompson. Speaking of, if you enjoyed this week's episode of Take a Bow, go check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash TAB and become a patron today. Through our Patreon, you will form a relationship with us and get an inside look on what goes into this podcast. To learn more about this podcast, visit bpn.fm forward slash take a bow and follow us on Instagram at take a bow podcast where you can contact us with any feedback, suggestions or questions and keep up with all things take a bow. See you next week. Bye, everyone. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.